Welcome back to Bears on Tap, a podcast about the Chicago Bears. I'm your host, Lucas Perfetti. You could follow us on Twitter at Bears on Tap, and you can also follow On Tap Sportsnet for all of your Chicago sports needs. You can also go ahead to ontapsportsnet.com. And I mean, like, even though COVID is happening, we are not stopping. No sports, no problem. We're doing hot dog reviews, NASCAR, WWE, really anything that's happening right now, we're reviewing it. Pop culture, we got a really great, uh, whatever that show is, the Tiger King or whatever article out there by our guy Schwartzy. So definitely go ahead and give it a uh, a look because it's definitely something you want to see. Today is May 26th and... Um, it's a very special episode. We are introducing a brand new member to the ONTAP Sportsnet crew. It is Duke Coughlin. You could follow him at that pod guy, Duke. Um, we're just going to be talking free agency. This kid is a stud. His second article goes up on Bleacher Report. Definitely the man, um, and you're going to love him. He's, he's a great addition to the show. Very GM-like mindset. He's very matter-of-fact. He knows what he's talking about. He's definitely someone you can get some knowledge from. Go ahead and check him out at that pod guy, Duke. And I also got, of course, my man B-Don 300 coming on, Brandon Suarez and myself at Lucas Perfetti 46. And then we're obviously going to be talking about the quarterback competition that has been heating up like no other. We don't even know when training camp's going to start, but hey man, everyone's looking towards Foles and Mitchell Trubisky, so we're going to dive into that as well. You guys sit back and enjoy the show. So we have um, Beat on 300, who you've heard from a million times. Now we also have Duke Coughlin on. Duke, how you doing, brother? Introduce yourself. Let all the people from ONTAP Sportsnet and Bears ONTAP know why we added this, this fine young man. Well, you are currently talking to the self-proclaimed pod guy. That's right. It's the pod guy, Duke. Um, been in the podcast game for three, four years now. I've done interviews with guys like Cam Worrell, um, former Chicago Bear, was actually on Devin Hester's uh, opening kickoff return for a touchdown. Cool story. Um, you know, I've done interviews with former players. I've done interviews with head office guys. Um, you know, and I'm a diehard Chicago fan. Um, I was born in Wisconsin, which probably just made all of you question me right there. But I was raised on Bridgeport values. My dad grew up in Bridgeport, Bridgeport 30 years. Uh, you know, so I I've been raised in that. I've been raised in Chicago bears, Chicago bulls, Chicago white Sox. man. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in when it comes to the sports. I'm fanatical about this stuff. Um, honestly, that's, that's actually funny when you say that too, because most of the time you see the transition of people in Chicago becoming Packers fans. You very rarely see, you know, there's a couple of, uh, accounts I, I follow on Twitter and stuff that are Wisconsin Bears fans. dude. Yeah. But no for the, this and shit. Like, yeah, come on, man. For the most part, Sorry, you never, soul. you never really get the Wisconsinites, um, being Bears fans. So that's, that's definitely a, a little bit different. No, Anthony Davis is a bitch though. You're right about that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent on that. Uh, I'd much rather prefer Tim Duncan, you know, who isn't even from Chicago, but still I'll roots take for Tim the Bears. Duncan all day. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, big fundamental. Way, way more accomplished too. <laughs> I saw oh, yeah. a visual with Tim Duncan with like the beginning stages of dreads, like you know the stand up dreads, and I was like, I I totally forgot that we had like a a hipster Tim Duncan when he was on his way out. <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, dude, he wasn't, he was never like that loud, like guy in the media or anything like that. Anyway, he just, dude, dude his, Tim, his Tim Duncan lives on Tim Duncan time. That's the best his way I can style, put it. The jeans, the jeans and all that, his whole get up was unmatched. He was a one of one. For he's real. literally pop reincarnated before pop died. Like he's just like somehow a separate, he's literally like a walking, talking pop, dude. Yeah. He's got a little bit of Phil Jackson in there too. He'd probably do peyote in the desert. no doubt all right but to bring it back to uh, bears centered talk um obviously the offseason real quick before you go crazy my boy taylor gabriel man i don't even you gotta let me take that you gotta let me take that let's just acknowledge that yeah man i'm glad he i'm glad hold up brandon let me fill the listeners in real quick um because yeah what brandon's alluding to is that someone came out i think it was daniel greenberg shy sports updates came out with a tweet that was like yeah taylor gabriel said he's uh uh, he's retiring and he's becoming a trucker and all this shit and then like he retracted the tweet and eventually said like you know i guess it was the website he owns the trucking company or he's like in business with it and the website kind of put out a thing like saying he was going to retire but i guess he didn't but brandon go ahead take it away because that is your guy yeah taylor gabriel known beat on 300 guy Uh, i was really looking forward to seeing him land on his feet somewhere this offseason obviously it's a strange offseason with free agency being you know mostly virtual you can't really meet with the free agents until all of this is done you don't really know what you're going to get we've seen it with other guys like cam newton so uh taylor gabriel is diversifying his portfolio and now he is a huge trucking guy and you love to see that from a football player having their ducks in a row for when they retire to know how they're going to continue to bring in money. Yeah, I actually wrote a breaking article on it, but it never went out because it wasn't true. But that's exactly what I said. Like you see Luke Keekley, you see Andrew Luck in the last couple of years retire before 30. Taylor Gabriel's only 29. So these guys are starting to realize, especially with Gabriel, right? He's had those concussion issues and that's, he had two last year, but that goes back to his start of his career in Cleveland and Atlanta. He's always kind of had head issues. You can't, even with with Cam, you fuck up your shoulder, you mess up your foot, whatever. You 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 don't get a new head, you know. You can deal with yeah. a, a deal with a gimp shoulder in your sixties. You don't want to have to have your you know your your wife feeding you with a fucking spoon when you're fifty. You can only like, you can only play for so long, and I mean you saw it with uh you know with plenty of players down the stretch where, like you said, you're literally being spoon fed. These players are not able to play catch with their kids, like. If you got to retire early, and that's totally on you. And I'm one of the people that I've never been against a player doing that early. And I, I mean, <clears throat> go ahead, dude. I mean, you have to you have to also consider uh, Turbo played a lot of his career in the slot, and you know I think everyone gets this idea that you know the smaller guys with speed can play in the slot for a long time, but that is putting him over the middle against safeties, against linebackers. Turbo's taken a beating through a good amount of his career, just like a lot of slot guys do. And you, you do, you end up seeing a lot of slot guys taking a lot of damage, whether it's concussions, whether it's, you know, upper body injuries, whether it's like anything, you know, there's, it it makes sense. It makes sense. A guy of his size, you know, going down as often as he did, you know, in points of his career, it he's makes only sense. like five eight or five nine, one hundred and seventy five or so. So he's wet, literally, you know, so. he's yeah, literally exactly. me on the football field, <laughs> NFL field. Realistically, he's like, I mean, he's a little bit more ripped up than you there, B Don. Let's let's. Oh, abs- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> he he might weight, might have a step on you. Too. My <laughs> was, weight is distributed in different spots, but like from a height, <laughs> from like a white a height weight standpoint, five eight about one eighty. Yeah, that's that's me. 
Yeah, dude. just not just not ripped to shreds and, and I almost, not tatted. I almost missed that. I was like going into the next point, and then it registered. I'm like, wait, beat on no. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. Four thing. four. Try try like five five zero. Oh. Yeah, Taylor like, Gabriel. I'm like Mackay back Shitty dope, like straight up. All right, but um, <clears throat> no, it, it's funny because you say like you've been kind of tracking where is he gonna go. Uh, I've seen the kind of the the rumor floated out that he might go to the Packers, and that's always my biggest fear is when a former Packer becomes a Bear, or I'm sorry, when a former Bear becomes a Packer. But uh, actually, we got the opposite this year, right? We got the inverse. We got Jimmy Graham, so hopefully he's able to give us some insight into what they're trying to do to us. Uh, I'm sure he has some the same way Adrian Amos had for the Packers and. Things of that nature. You know how that goes. Um, well, I'm, but over- I'm also sure that uh, Jimmy Graham's actually going to enjoy uh, not being Aaron Rodgers' scapegoat every single week. I mean, my, my biggest thing is, like, he. the more people are breaking him down, like, and you know what's funny? I had someone post this thing. Like, I, I follow random fans from all over the NFL, and, like, the Saints fan posted this thing at Jimmy Graham the other day. Nothing to do with the Bears. He was just like, if Jimmy Graham never left the Saints, he could have put up numbers that competed with the best. Like, he could have been the best of all time. And I know that's a crazy statement, but realistically, dude, with the Saints, that guy was unreal. And I remember when he got traded to the Seahawks, everyone was like, holy shit, dude, the Seahawks are going to be unstoppable. And he just never materialized. And that's one thing Matt Nagy did highlight on multiple occasions that he felt like Jimmy Graham was kind of going to unlock this offense. You got to take his word for it, right? Yeah. I mean, and you know, a guy who knows offense like Matt Nagy, you almost have to assume he knows talent at the tight end position, especially working with a guy like Travis Kelsey out in Kansas city. Um, and you know, you're right. If Jimmy would have stayed in new Orleans, I really think he could have broken records. And it's simply for the fact that a guy like Drew Brees uses his tight ends. You look at a guy like Russell Wilson, who is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the league. It's it's, he has a laundry list of tight ends that he throws to. Um, but he doesn't consistently go to one guy. He didn't quite use Jimmy Graham as that number one guy that he should have. Um, and you look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who honestly, since Jermichael Finley from that Super Bowl run they made in 2010, does not use his tight ends very often. It's it, it just seems like Jimmy Graham going to two elite quarterbacks and him not putting up necessarily the numbers he did with a guy like Drew Brees. It I think it kind of soured a lot of people on him. But well, I really believe it has a lot to do with him not being focal points of either of those offenses. Well, if you look at like the style in which Drew Brees plays versus Russell Wilson and, and, and Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not saying Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are like carbon cutouts of each other, but they definitely their game resembles each other more than they would with Drew Brees, right? Drew Brees has no problem using a safety blanket and throwing those easy routes over the middle of the field. Aaron Rodgers and and Russell Wilson, they don't need a fucking safety blanket. They are their own safety blanket. They're, they're relying on their arm all the time. And they don't, a lot of times they're not taking that easy throw or that check down, you know, like Russell Wilson trying to put in the corner of the end zone to tie the locket and make ridiculous. (laughs) I was going to say Russell Wilson check down or throw it into triple coverage with like a 0.3% getting Kella. And it still gets every time, every single time you got two guys that are like gunslingers (laughs) that don't like making safe throws. So, and then you got two quarterbacks now on the roster with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles that both desperately need a safety blanket. So I see his numbers going up from his Packers days in general. Um, 
but well, we've said it before. They got the double safety blanket now with him and Cole Komet. So, I mean, he, he's going to have all of his options for his checkdowns. Mitchie checkdown will have a, a whole bunch of completions this year. Well, yeah. I, I think that really helps, too, with uh, Komet's uh, development cycle as well. He doesn't have to come into day one being the guy. We can use Jimmy Graham on a lot more passing snaps. We can get Komet, uh, you know, entwined with the offense, just even in run blocking, starting out some, like simple like that. Cole doesn't have to be huge this year. Cole can be huge exactly. a yeah, year or two down the road. Need, we are only going to need like 20, 25, 30 catches out of him this year. And the well, thing, he, like you he, said, leading too, our is, last year's team with reception with 25 or 30 receptions. But, so but I, what you don't understand, what you guys don't understand, and I don't want to make another Dame on tap or Irish on tap, is he's capable of coming in and doing that. But like you said, he is going to be learning under, you know, Jimmy Graham. That you couldn't ask for a better, you know, most of the time the situation is you come in and learn under a quarterback. As a tight end, you couldn't ask for a better tight end to come in and learn at this point in your career. Plus, can, like, you, can you imagine those two on the goal line? Like in goal oh, line yeah. situations? Oh, well, wait, well, wait, 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 wait. Alan, right Alan, yeah, Robins, Alan Robinson, too. I mean, that's one of the best jump balls. I, 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 I don't. Allen Robinson is top 10 when it comes to jump All those drives. No Allen Robinson's just top 10. I'll just stop you right there. He's top yeah. 10. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All those drives last year where we were sitting on our hands, just like, fuck, they're going to have to kick a field goal and is Pinheiro going to make it? Like, we're not going to have to worry about that this year. And those well, drives are going to end in the end zone. You know what the best thing is, too? Because everyone was, like, automatically like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Jimmy Graham's playing Y and, and Cole Komet's playing U. And right away I was like, no, dude. Cole Komet's Komet going to be playing in line. Like, they're they're going to be using Jimmy Graham at U. It's that multiplier position. You expect a rookie to come in and play the most important position in the offense. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And once I know he that learns, once he learns, you can split him out. But again, he, like we've talked about, although he did run a four, seven speed, it's not like electrifying speed. If you throw him in the slot. Well, and, and that's, that's one thing. If I, if, and I love Cole Komet throughout the entire draft process, I had him on my board us of us picking him. If he fell to us, the biggest thing I would say in critique of his game would be route running. He does have the speed moving downfield. He just has yeah, to get a little like better with he, moving his feet in, into gets, his cuts. Once he gets the ball, it's not an issue, but like, like you said, getting into his cuts and getting in and out. Yeah. He does have to work on that a little bit. But yeah, once he gets the ball, get out of that man's way. He's and Duke, an wheeler. <laughs> Duke, if you didn't notice yet, Brandon actually can can uh, jerk off to completion to a still frame of Cole Komet. So oh, we're, I believe we're it. that kind of podcast that bears on. <laughs> we love us some Cole Komet. Um, and actually, I just listened to his. He had an interview with Barcelona Sports, Barcelona Chicago, and he was he's staying at home for a little bit. Like it's funny. He seems like a really just down to earth like normal midwest dude uh, i'm glad to have him on the bears for sure but his we'll dad his dad had a stint too with the bears preseason stint but i dude well, he's he's chicago as it gets I've man heard one. yeah um but duke i just want to get because we kind of covered in depth i just want to get your overall impressions of the offseason in general um you know some of the things that were the most deterring to me was using uh what is it not mike upati uh jermaine Effetti. mike upati was a part of that that jimmy graham trade i think that's why his name's on my on my mind, but you know, you had Jermaine Effetti come in at guard. You, you drafted a couple guys. Like O line is definitely a concern for for people still clearly. Um, and then you have you know Taylor Gabriel leaving. You got insert Darnell Mooney. Like a ton of stuff happened. Uh, I like the Tevis Gibson move in general, but it seems like last year going into 2019, all of our starters were in line, and I think that actually kind of backfired on us because we didn't play the starters in preseason and stuff like that. There wasn't much competition for those starting spots, and I feel like. 
when you think you're all set to start the season, it's no good. And I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate to credit Colin Coward, but he said something last year and he was like, you know, the Ravens were a really good running team. They said, fuck it, doubled down and went and got Mark Ingram. Like this team, you know, uh, Seattle needed a pass rusher. They were already a good team. They went and got Jadavian Clowney. He's like, the Bears just, and the and the Cowboys were both just like, we're good. And and I'm not saying Colin Coward was right because the Bears were kind of forced into that situation due to, you know, the Cleo Mack trade, salary cap, stuff like that. But overall, what's your impression of this offseason? Like, how did Ryan Pace do with what he had? Um, I, I'm, I'm actually very impressed with uh, what Ryan Pace uh, accomplished. I thought it was a big move for him because uh, I think there's this idea that he has uh, a bit of an ego, especially with players that he drafts, that he won't like he just will not give up on them. And I think him letting um, Leonard Floyd go was a big step in the right direction of him being able to accept maybe when he makes a mistake. And I'm not saying. Uh, and that's not even r- a bad pick. I get I get where you're going. Yeah, and that's not yeah. even a bad pick. Like it's it, it could be just a didn't lot. Wanna, yeah, he just didn't deserve a raise. But you that's upgraded it. You upgrade yeah. for around the same amount of money. And the guy still got paid. He still got a $10 million contract, but I don't want to interject. Keep going, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was just about to say, like, I was actually a pretty big Leonard Floyd uh, fan. I was always, a, I was always really big on him. It was disappointing to see him not quite hit where he should have been like gone. But, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love the Robert Quinn signing. Uh, my girlfriend is actually a giant Dallas Cowboys fan. So I end up watching Cowboys games by proxy and Robert Quinn takes over football games, especially with having Demarcus Lawrence opposite of him. Well, now he goes from Demarcus Lawrence to Cleo Mack, who are in that upper echelon of elite pass rushers. So honestly, it's going to hit a lot of points where it's going to leave Cleo single covered. And that's something that Leonard Floyd didn't take advantage of. And it's something that Robert Quinn can take advantage of is getting that single opportunity, having that one tackle in front of him, maybe bringing in a a double tight end set. But even then, that's when the inside brings the pressure. That's when we bring a pressure with Dan Trevathan or have a Roquan Smith kind of play center field. But I mean, to not sit on that point too long, um, I was happy with the draft. Um, I was happy with some of the moves that Ryan made towards uh, going towards the offensive line. I do think he avoided making that big splash offensive line signing because he knows that he wants his defense to be set. Because even if the offense struggles, the defense will keep us in football games. I also think, and this is going to get this Notre Dame boy going right here. I also think that the Bears have big plans for a guy in Alex Bars at right guard. I think there's a strong possibility (laughs) that he can be in the mix. I'm not saying he's going to be given the job day one. I'm not going to say he's going to take this job or anything. But it is a good opportunity for this guy who easily could have been a second or third round pick coming out if he was healthy, if not a first, because we still didn't see a full season in his last year with Notre Dame. Um, I really there's think there's three yeah, all a- pros, three all pros in the last 10 years. And in, in the last 10 years, three all pros from on the all pro team. So and they, know I- how to, they know how to spit out O-linemen. Unfortunately, Harry Heastan didn't stick with us, but that man can coach him O-line at Notre Dame. Yeah, and I, I really think I, I think the Bears think highly of him. It, that's why he stuck around the roster. That's why he's kept an active roster spot since what midway through last season, where we were having how many different revolving doors at offensive line at that point. You know, that's the one thing. You know, it's funny. I don't want to digress too much because, like, I know that the reason why he was a part of the fifty-three man roster is because the uh, the the Patriots were trying to scoop him up off the practice squad. So the Bears then like promptly put him on the fifty-three man roster and gave him a raise, whatever, to, to retain him. But why do you think? they were using Rashad Coward and Ted Larson and stuff like that instead of Alex Bars because a lot of us 
like on on tap before you have have had high praises for Alex Bars and do think that he could have been a solution. We all know he fell out of the draft like unwarranted. There was no reason he should have fell out of that draft. Um, but realistically, like kind of what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm just kind of I'm a little dumbfounded about it as well. Like they didn't try him out, you know, and it's like he he played the preseason. So it wasn't like they were they were worried about his knee that that much. They were able to evaluate him. But then were they saying, fuck it, like we're just going to redshirt him? I think um I, and you know, I can't confirm this in any sense. You know, it's not like I have some inside source here, but I really think at some point in that season, Ryan kind of understood that he was going to end up moving on from Harry. So, uh, well, offensive line coach for the bears last year, for anyone who doesn't know, um, I, I kind of think he didn't want to start that development process with somebody who was not going to be here next year because he didn't see Alex bars, maybe as a starter last season. And yes, you know, that is interesting considering Rashawn Coward was moved from the defensive side of the football to play offensive line, but he has been practicing and running with offensive linemen for, I believe the last two seasons, just, two hasn't, seasons, gotten, yeah. Yeah, just hasn't gotten the play time with it. So technically when you want to put that in with the coaching staff and everything like that, that is the move to go. I'm not going to sit here and say that I enjoyed watching him play right guard last year because that's a conversation for another day. Um, that was but, when I did my old line breakdown, I, I took through all the, I mean, he got, they, they say you're as strong as your weakest leak. And man, he was the weakest link. Nothing against him, you know, um, yeah, he's but I undrafted mean, agent that, that move positions, but yeah. And I mean, you know, you got to give the guy props for going in there and, you know, making the active move to move, like change positions and really stick with it. It, it shows that he's a team guy. And that's, I think really one thing Ryan Pace does like about him. You know, he's one of those guys that you tell him to, you know, push him out and he'll ask you how far, you know, whether he can do it or yeah. not. Well, and that's the thing about him. Like they were missing some nastiness on their own line, right? Like that's one thing that he does bring like technique wise, you know, assignment wise, he's blowing a lot of assignments, but anytime like you needed him to go and help out on a double team and bury a guy, he was going to do it. I just think yeah. it was, he really didn't understand the position well enough to play it at a high level. Otherwise, like he does have the athletic traits and he's able to get his hands on people and move people around when he's, you know, when, when he's doing the right things. But a lot of the times it was just blown assignments or, you know, and, and I think that had something to do with James Daniels because he was at center for, for a portion of it. And things looked a lot better when, when white hair switched over, but um, overall, yeah, I just, I just think, I think um, I wouldn't sleep on Alex Bars. I do think that um, Jermaine Effetti will be the starter this year, but I think that they're they're definitely trying to to develop Bars to be their starter. And I mean, he was playing some left tackle in the preseason, did actually quite well last year. So I, I can see them. He's a big boy. I can see them moving him to tackle oh. if they need, uh, or being just like that versatile. I can see him being that first rotation guy this year. But I mean, it's very clear that they they said like with their investments and everything in the O line, two seventh rounders and one minimum uh, contract, like we believe Juan Castillo is our investment. That's our biggest investment. And that's, what's going to fix it. It's very clear that that's what they're saying. Well, with, uh, with another off season move to uh, bring up actually on the offensive line, um, a lot that kind of flies under the radar is we actually did sign Jason Spriggs as well. And Ryan Pace says that, or he did say that he would very much be in the mix at right guard as well. That's right. That's right. Who is a contract guy. And, uh, I believe he was a higher round draft pick for the green Bay Packers as well. Um, and he, he sat behind Brian, Brian Bulaga for his entire career. So it was hard for him to really get any movement over there. Um, so yeah, it, there's definitely going to be a competition. I don't think anyone will be handed to it. Um, I definitely think the guy we signed from Seattle, I'm not even going to try to say his last name this early, but <laughs> Betty. Yeah. Uh, I, Betty. I, I okay. am the guy who butchers names over here. So you don't That's have to be down roll. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I, I can a mock him over. That's the first I time he said. Right. I got it right. I got it right. First time he said it fucking right, dude. Fuck, I got it right, dude. I I always had to Mukamara down because I remember Gruden one time on Monday Night Football just going nuts about saying his name, and he would just be like, every once in a while, I'd be like, now let me show you something on Prince Mukamara, like in the most Gruden way possible. I am Mukamara in our way all the way through the 2019 season. I'm a big fan of Chucky. I know there's a negative connotation from Bears fans because of the whole Khalil Mack trade and someone saying someone got housed and this and that. But I love me some Chucky, dude. He was awesome on fucking, you know, in the booth, and he's even better as a coach. The guy's going to have a heart attack very shortly. Yeah, dude. I, I love the guy, though, dude. He's he's feisty. He was always just he was always great on Monday Night Football. I loved him out in Tampa. Never got the opportunity to draft a quarterback out in Tampa for whatever fucking reason. But, <laughs> you know, I, I really think. You're not a I, Brad Johnson guy? <laughs> I, all right, I, it's not that I'm not a Brad Johnson guy, Super but Super Bowl I mean, champion that, Brad Johnson. Not that I have any impartial partiality blah, to Brad Johnson, but um, I don't know. I just seems like a guy who's considered a quarterback whisperer who ended up working with quarterbacks after he left the game for a while. How did that guy never have an opportunity to draft a quarterback? I think they he likes him. old guys. That's why he like he doesn't wanted. want Derek or he doesn't want David Carr. Or whatever I, Derek Carr. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't understand that because I'm a Derek Carr mark to the absolute. I think he's but. good, dude. He's good. He's legit. Like he just Definitely. doesn't really have weapons. In his worst years, he's still top twenty in the league. So he's a franchise quarterback in my eyes. And better than we've had. Efficient better than what we got. He's yep. efficient as hell. Like he completes passes. They might not be long, but who was playing wide receiver for the Oakland Raiders last year? He's just got to be like five years older. They had Antonio like Brown him. for like one preseason game, no? And let me tell you, dude, that was probably the greatest fucking season of hard knocks I've ever watched. Yeah. Guys, Electricity. Besides maybe, besides maybe the Ravens back in the day. But. The last update I've seen on Antonio Brown, there's this kid. I think his name's like, I don't know what it is, but he's this kid and he just kicks the fuck out of the ball. He like makes YouTube videos of him punting and kicking and like he runs routes. They like him and these kids like all run routes against each other. It's highly competitive stuff. They look like they're all pretty good. Either like, you know, seniors in college high school, level, or, yeah, like high school, or college yeah. level. Yeah. Like all really athletic kids. AB's out there with a helmet running a helmet running routes against this kid. I'm like, are you serious? Right now? He's just burning this kid. He, like, he's like, he's wearing a helmet. Yeah, he wore full pads to play against this kid. This kid's not wearing anything. And he's like literally crossing this kid out of his shoes. And it's like I'm just shocked he was wearing a helmet. helmet. (laughs) I I would have watched that clip and I would have been just like enamored at the fact that he was actually wearing a helmet. Probably his old helmet. Let's oh wait, here. but but wait, no, it's the Raiders helmet too. Because I have a, I actually have a buddy that plays quarterback for the Quad City Steamlayers that lives in Florida. He threw with AB this this or not summer, but I guess you would say since the last time AB played until now, they threw down in Florida. He's just running routes in a Raiders helmet. I'm telling you, John Gruden definitely has one of Antonio Brown's helmets at his house, and he's never going to get rid of it. <laughs> I guarantee it. And that's just one of the I man wonder, cave pieces that he will never get rid of. I wonder what I wonder which model it is. <laughs> that man's clinically insane. Let's be real here. Um, yeah. but let's move on to the hot topic. Um, obviously, so Tree Cohen had a had a phone interview um, recently. I want to say it was on ESPN Chicago. I, I can't quote it exactly, but the quote along was along the lines of, "Hey, Mitchell Trubisky's at his best when he's got that effort attitude." Those exact words, effort attitude. And, um, you know, but Nick Foles doesn't seem like he's coming in here to lay down and play the bench His Zoom meetings. He's very professional, this and that. So obviously, like, I think at this point, everyone understands it's going to be a true competition. You know, all the truthers, 
all the Foles believers, it's finally kind of come into this thing where everyone's like, okay, this is actually going to be a competition. That's what the consensus seems to be on Twitter. You still have those trolls that are like, Foles came here to start, blah, 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 blah. But overall, like, what are you guys feeling about this in general? How, how Like, we all know two-minute Mitch, if you got 60 minutes of two-minute Mitch, we'd, we'd be a Super Bowl winning franchise already. But, um, you know, what are you guys thinking in general? Like, how's this competition going to go? They're saying now that the NFL is supposed to open up, like, when they play games, fans, everything. It's supposed to be full go. So I really want to know, like, it's going to be limited access in training camp for this COVID stuff, which is perfect for the Bears and Ronnie Pace because they don't want anyone to watch their practices anyway. Like, what is the actual – how do we think this is going? We know Mitchell Trubisky is going to get first-team reps. Is it going to be a true 50-50 split? How much do we think we're playing in the preseason? Like, where, where, are, we, where are we heading towards with this competition, boys? We'll so, start with so- – What's that? Go ahead. Let's start with Brandon this time, yeah. So two things. Pressure, it either is going to burst a pipe or create a diamond. And with Mitchell Trubisky, like we've seen in the you know late game. He's also our, our resident fucking metaphor guy. <laughs> resident, resident, resident metaphor guy. But as we've seen down the stretch, Mitch can make plays specifically in that Eagles game. Give us an extra minute and let us try to score a touchdown. I think we're looking at a completely different outcome. That's besides the point. What we're looking at this season, like you said, we need to have a 50-50 split down the middle. We've talked about it before on the podcast. We want to make sure that Mitch runs out with certain receivers and Nick Foles runs out and gets an opportunity with those same receivers and those same backs. We don't want it to be in their exact same positions, right? We don't want like Anthony Miller playing X one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We want it to be some sort of, you know, uniformness. We want it to be as close to, we can, you know, down to the, the finest detail, the finest seventh round lineman playing guard or tackle, whatever it may be. We need to make sure that it is fair as possible because we need to make sure come week one, we have the best possible starting quarterback out there. And I know, Ethan, you know, Ethan and Duke are both huge Mitch guys. I'm not like a Mitch hater, but he just hasn't showed me anything special. I want the kid to do great things and I want him to be a special quarterback, obviously with where we drafted him. But again, hasn't showed us anything. And this is the year where he has to prove it. It's a contract year. We're looking at a scenario where we could be finding our franchise quarterback for the next few years. or We could see a, a scenario where neither of these guys are on our roster when we have this podcast next year. I, I, I see that being very likely to be honest. Duke, how you feeling, brother? All right. So I, I do want to elaborate um just just on a couple things. You are right. I am I'm definitely a Mitch guy. Um that doesn't mean I put I don't put blinders on. I can admit when this guy doesn't play well and Mitchell Trubisky simply put, you know, regardless if there was other things around him that weren't going well, the guy didn't play well last year. Um I, I think the Nick Foles quote specifically where he talked about how he was coming in to win this job, but he would help Mitchell Trubisky along the way. I mean, I, what else do you want the guy to say? Who in the world is going to come into um, any quarterback battle being a former Super Bowl MVP who just got paid as much as he did last year, who got traded, you know, with a significant draft pick to get here. Who's going to say that they're just going to take the backup spot and just go sit on the bench? Like what? I, I just don't understand what a lot of people like wanted him to say there. Like I, I get what, like I get people want a story and stuff like that, but I really think that's a bit overplayed. Um, I do believe the snaps are going to be 50, 50. I think that's a hundred percent it. I think Matt Nagy is truly at the point where he needs to see like this progression out of Mitchell Trubisky. I think he, um, 
I think he overestimated the leap that Mitch would make last year, which is why we saw um, so many games where we threw the ball so often. Um, I think we kind of got away from what we were doing on offense. Um, and I'm really interested to see, um, one, how long the competition goes into training camp before we have a decided starting quarterback. And two, um, you know, like you guys said, I understand wanting to play with the same players in the same positions, everything like that. That makes a lot of sense, but there has to be a play calling difference between what Mitchell Trubisky can do and what Nick Foles can do. Cause see, Nick Foles is not nearly as mobile of a guy. Um, but he is far more efficient down the field where Mitch is a bit more mobile and that's kind of where he gets in, you know, shorter routes and intermediate routes. So see, it's going to be why, see how that works. I, I'm glad you brought that up, dude, because there was like, when we look at last year and after Mitch Trubisky got injured in that Minnesota game and in that Oakland game, there wasn't much of a difference in what we were calling. That's what worries me the most about Matt Nagy. I think he's a fantastic motivator of men, but just the fact that you have Mitchell Trubisky versus Chase Daniel and you're calling the exact same playbook, which really had no continuity, right? It, it wasn't like he was like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to, like, exactly. our plan is we're going to pound this. Like, we know the Packers have nothing inside in, in the in interior of their defense. They're they're out of their front seven. Their weakest spots are their, their the middle of their defense. All you got to do is run straight at them, and that's what, you know, that's what um, San Francisco did. But you didn't see any, like, concise game plan. You weren't like, hey, we're going to wear them down and then start popping off play action. It was just like, hey, here's a here's a hat, and here's all my plays for third down, and I'm going to pick out of this hat and be like, all right, fuck it. Like, let's run X zig or whatever the fuck these guys call these plays. But at the end of the day, like, I think that that is huge, like, for you to say that. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Like, I think that they're going to still use – I feel like there's a reason why they strayed away from the RPOs and why they got rid of Mark Helfrich because they don't want a quarterback to be as mobile. You know what I mean? Like, I really think they're trying to take that element of the offense away. I just don't understand. And, you know, I like that you brought up play action because I just – I feel like I've seen none of it. I have not seen play action in since 2018. And it just makes me wonder um, – I, you, have you, know, to, you have to be able to run the ball effectively to, to have an effective play action. So exactly. But I mean, it, it almost seems like our entire scheme changed from one year to another. Like it hits a, it hit a point where it felt like in the second year of him running the offense, Matt Nagy finally wanted to full on implement what he was doing. It was almost like 2018 on offense was a, a transition process from the John Fox era to the Matt Nagy era, kind of in a gradual way. Cause that's where everyone says, Oh, well, Mitch, Mitch was only given so many plays in 2018. That's why he played so well. Well, why, why was that the case? Why was it a gradual thing? If last year was Matt Nagy's offense fully implemented, he needs to go back to the drawing board. He needs to remember what wins football games in the NFL. And I'm sorry, I don't care what year it is. I don't care what kind of revolution there is. Running the football effectively will always win football games in the NFL. And if you have a quarterback who can complete the pa complete passes on play action, who can roll out and who can hit his passes when we're moving down the field and teams are loading the box on us, that's all you need. And well, that's why 2018 reason, was so good. There's a reason why this like high flying Andy Reid offense that has been at the tops of the league on so many occasions, whether he was with Philly or Kansas City, he's only won one Super Bowl. And the Patriots, who have what, eight route concepts concepts total, they're one of the simplest playbooks offensively in the NFL. And they have how many Super Bowls? And it's all because they're willing to line up right across from you and say, hey, listen, we're fucking putting this right in this gap. 
Like, it's very clear. This is what we run. And we're, we don't care. We're going to show you what we're doing. And we're going to just fucking do it because we're better than you. And at some point in football, you need to have that type of attitude to win games, especially in the playoffs. You Dude, have to best, just know, like, what we do is better than what you can do to stop us. Dude, boy, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's like, it's like last year, We like we said, you know, they just tried to get too cute with things. If you do simple math and you just run the ball, like you said, up the middle, you're going to get your guarantee. You know, you need your 10 yards to move the sticks. In those three plays, I guarantee you most times, if not, you're going to get those 10 yards. All right. And then, so- and then too, but like you said, you can't run play action unless you're keeping the defense honest. So the defense playing in the box, you're never able to take that. You're never truly able to take the top off the defense. Obviously, we know Mitch has somewhat of an arm. He's not, you know, he's not. We do see him sail passes and overthrow them, but when he does throw the deep ball, it's somewhat concerning because I've seen him, you know, less accurate as the ball continuously goes more and more down the field, but he does have the arm strength to make stuff happen down the field. Well, you know, I think something specifically with that, and it's something that doesn't get talked about enough, was how many deep shots we honestly take last year. Not enough. It was short. It was short intermediate routes. Is that Mitch's fault? I mean, dude, what quarterback in the league is going to hit deep routes? At like 80% of the time, it's just, it's, it doesn't happen. It does not happen. And when you limit those opportunities, the chances for those plays to succeed significantly go down. Of course it gets looked at that Mitch Trubisky misses the football down the field because there's all this film of last year of him missing the ball down the field, because simply put, it's a lack of film. There's not enough plays of Mitch throwing downfield to really accurately say if he can consistently throw down the field or not, because they were so sporadic. And not even that. I mean, just like I, I will uh, I'll play devil's advocate here because there are a lot of their concepts. I feel like they do have a deep shot and, and Mitch chooses not to take it. But um, no, at the end of the day, like you're not going to you're not going to six route six yard dig your way down the field. It only works so so much. You know what I mean? You get that on first down. But how many bubble if you look at our bubble screens versus our deep shots, I guarantee you the bubble screens outweigh it by at least double. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and these players were brought in based upon, you know, Miller, Gabriel. Those players were brought in based upon what they can do with yards after the catch. They didn't get as many opportunities last year, you know, in the slot with Gabriel being out. Miller, I think, is someone who really, we haven't talked about a lot, but I think he really needs to have that kind of transcendent year. We've seen, you know, we've seen strides. We've seen big games to where we can truly see what his potential is, but he hasn't put that full body of work together. And then with with me back to Mitch, it's just like I personally feel like I mean, even in 2018, we saw him under throwing and not accurate on those deep balls. Obviously, like you said, you know, a lack of opportunity. The the offense was bubble screen on top of bubble screen and and short to intermediate routes last but year. But my thing is, if you got a guy covered right stride for stride and everything's covered and your only options downfield, right? Would you rather him overthrow the ball or throw a pick? I'd rather throw the ball. Exactly, because you're because you're not you're not well you're not seeing but a lot I've of interceptions from Mitch underthrow, too. I've also seen him underthrow the shit out of deep balls to guys like Bellamy and stuff who aren't exactly barnbirds. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I, I won't I won't sit here. You're and gonna, like, yeah, we're gonna get fifty fifty on this, but but the thing is, is with the offense that we have, we have skill players in place. What we really need to do is take advantage of getting on teams early. We're always playing from behind. That's how our defense is. As, as like, as generic of a football guy quote, and I say it all the fucking time, just run the ball to get the game started, get everything moving, and then open it up based upon that. 
They, you know, they didn't run the ball hardly at all last year. Maybe we'll see more of that this year. And I really think people, Chicago is a hard city to be an athlete in, but I really think people don't really have the true skills or they don't have like the vision that guys like us have for David Montgomery. I think he's going to be a really good back in this league. I mean, yeah, no, but I want to, cause you covered a couple points there and I wanted to acknowledge a couple of them. First off, I think, um, no, the offense is built to get guys in space and, and get guys the ball behind the line of scrimmage or within a couple of yards of the line of scrimmage and see what they can do after the catch. I also think that's why the bears have drafted Riley Ridley and Javon Wims in you know, in the last, what, three seasons? I think they were a season apart. I think it was Javon Wims. Wims, Wims was three seasons and, and Ridley was yeah. – no, Ridley was last was, year. Ridley was, a, Ridley Ridley was, was a rookie last year, yeah. But either way, you're getting these a, guys – I wrote up a draft article when we got him. But you're getting these guys with – coming from Georgia. They're not getting a ton of receptions. Why are you getting them? It's because they're all forced to block. I think that's a big part of why Javon Wims and Riley Ridley will both make the team because we need these guys on the exterior. If you notice the they one – make it happen when they get the ball too. And I mean Anthony Miller went from seven touchdowns to one touchdown. Is that on Anthony Miller or is that on no. the coach? Because I feel like how do you – like how what happened with him where he was in the doghouse where he didn't get the ball whatsoever? You know what I mean? Like and well, I just, just – It was a lot of like his own undoings <laughs> and penalties and stuff. But like look at the Detroit game last year. I don't know if – it was the first one or the Thanksgiving one, but what did he have? Nine for like 150 and but he, a touchdown? As soon as he was our deep threat, as soon, and he's not as fast as Gabriel, but he's a lot more physical. He's, he's able good. to get over the top. So I feel like that yeah. was for us. And that opened our up, up our offense huge. And that almost happened at the exact same time when Cody Whitehair and James Daniels switched. We were able to see some life in the offense. You know what I mean? Because like you said, that Eagles game, but Mitch, in that Detroit game you're talking about, and in that Dallas game, the kid balled. Oh, yeah. No I mean, doubt. Dallas, Dallas is a top game, 10 defense at the time as well. The Dallas game is what we want to see from Mitch. Just be Mitch, man. If you got a if 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 the stat sheet looks like, you know, 10, 12 carries for 80 yards and you don't have as many passes, so be it. Just pull just that play, shit out play, and flop play it around. Your game, bro. Yeah, flop it around Let and play your game. Let fucking know who BDM is. You know what I'm saying? I think I think that would be probably my biggest like defense of Mitch right there. Like if anything, if anything else didn't stand, you could say he's inconsistent. You can say he's stagnant at times. You can say whatever you want in that Dallas game. That shows that Mitch can play. He, that it shows he can Mitch. do it. That was fucking, you know, Mitch people, right there, people that lose Dallas an idea that Mitch can do these things. People forget yeah. that Mitch can do these things, whether he does it consistently or not. Absolutely. That's up for discussion, but the guy can play. He was drafted number two for a reason. He was the top quarterback on everyone's board that year for a reason. You know, I, a lot of people want to go back, say revisionist history and everything like that, which that's a discussion for another day. But the yeah, kid, the kid can play. The kid but can no, play. It's when the he, he can too is like none of the none of the draft experts really like owning up to that shit, too, because everyone had it wrong. Oh, it's dude, right. I'll take, everyone's I'll just dogpiling on Twitter about it, man, because yeah, it's the fucking popular thing to do. People. I'll let them know. I'll 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 get their draft board. I'll screenshot it and send it to them anytime they want a dog. I'm gonna be like, I'm hey. honestly surprised I'm not blocked from PFF at this point because I blow them up every time they try. I've waged war against PFF and the Chicago Tribune, um, so I think they're both <laughs> dog shit fucking. I can honestly Dude, see PFF Lucas me and like... you starting a lot of fucking wars, so you better be prepared. <laughs> yeah. PFF having Darius Slay ranked as like the 85th corner is just an egregious crime against humanity. It's like, what are we doing here? That guy is literally top ten. Yeah, top dude, I, I put, I, he's almost hovering top five, man. Almost, 
He's right there. I hated going against Slay twice a year. Yeah, now we got to go it. against Okuda. And Okuda's a dog. Like, I, I think Okuda is, is a prototype just like Slay. I mean, I feel, and we haven't talked about it with you, but I feel, you know, every team in this division but the Packers got a lot better in this draft. And, you know, it starts with, with Jeff Okuda being the new number one corner that we got to go against twice a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, dude, actually, we'll, we'll wrap up with we'll wrap up with your thoughts on how the division kind of fared because we've already covered this, uh, and then and then we'll uh, you know we'll we'll wrap up with your thoughts here. Okay. Um. I, I after this, I will have one question for you guys though, just because yeah, I've been no for a while. Um. The way I'm looking at the division, uh, the Vikings probably had the best draft out of our division. The Vikings knocked it out of the park, and I kind of kind of easy really, when you have 37 draft picks. Yeah. Oh, dude, I hated seeing it. Like, but yeah. I mean, honestly, everything they did improved their team. Um, you know, they they replaced Stephon Diggs, and uh, you know, really just kind of ran with that. But um, I, I think the Vikings easily had the best draft. Um, I got to see a lot of the live reaction of the Packers draft, and man, let me tell you, they're, they might, they're trying to play it up. They're trying to play it up. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, we love that. We're good with that. I mean, yeah. You know, he's so yeah, athletic. He's got so much potential. Yeah. yeah same I thing mean, with Peter, but we, we would have drafted him top like 10 if we had a draft. top 10 pick. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. Like they, they kill me with it. I, I love them for their optimism. I will give them that. The fact they can find a way to spin that is something else. But if you, if you can't read through the lines of how pissed off Aaron Rodgers is, who, Hey, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, you know, who just for some reason wants to stay in green Bay all the time. You might be kind of putting the blinders on. He's, he's gone uh, by 2022. He's oh, he's, by I have a buddy. I have a buddy of mine trying to convince me that Rodgers isn't pissed. And I'm like, he literally was on McAfee and Hawk the night of like, yeah, we need to get some weapons. And then like an hour later, they draft love. Dude, even even in that interview he did with the Packers, that conference call, you know, because it only took what Aaron a month after the draft <laughs> to actually talk about it. Yeah, he's not Dude. pissed at all. They Dan, hit because like you better call him, babe. They hit a point where he started to like elaborate on a point, kind of like that he was worked up about it, and then magically in this interview there was technical difficulties at that point. Tell me that's not fucking sketchy. Tell me that guy, the same guy that doesn't talk to his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I'll- I'm but anyway, not I, and to, uh, you know, to another point with Detroit, I don't think they did nearly as bad as a lot of people said. I still don't no. think Detroit's really much to worry about. Um, I do think, uh, Galladay and freaking Stafford are going to light the, light the league on fire this year. Uh, just cause I think Kenny Galladay is outstanding and he does not get talked about enough. Go Huskies baby. And are you alum? He's a, yeah, you could say that now. Jack <laughs> but no, I, I think, I think realistically you kind of hit on a point there because the, the lions, in my opinion, under Patricia have been trending in the right direction. They've added a lot more talent, but they, they have just find they a way put it to together. Suck, yeah. dude. They just always suck. They're just the lions. Like, and, and I, until they <laughs> stop sucking, you just have to assume the worst for them. And I really think until that they, further review. Exactly. Yeah. The jury I, is always out until they have like four seats. Like they, the, you have to get that. Stink the play off. has the play has stood on them for like eternity. You have to get that <laughs> stink off of them. Go ahead, Duke. I think I think Patricia does get a lot of uh, a lot of the flack for that. And like you said, he moved in. He was 
move this team in the right direction. Um, and dude, I, I love the hire when it happened. Like I hate it as a bears fan, but I like the idea of Matt Patricia as head coach. I think he is a guy who soaked up everything Bill Belichick gave him instead of kind of building a ego before leaving. He, he soaked everything up. He left on good terms. And I think that even to this day, Bill helps him with game, you know, game day stuff. Cause you know, Bill's insane when it comes to preparation. Um, and you always got to respect a guy who keeps a pencil with a laminate play call sheet. Like what you doing? My guy, <laughs> Dude, Bill Belichick legit will be like, Hey man, if this guy's shoelace is fucking on the right side of his shoe, that means he ran this way. And that means he's going to cover you this way. So take this in route. And I guarantee you it's a touchdown. Boom. Touchdown. Yo, like, on, what? The, mad, know that. on the topic of uh, play call sheets, I, I feel like uh, we got to get our graphic guy Schwartzy to make us like a Waffle House branded Mad <laughs> And like like you talked about earlier, Duke, we can throw like on the side, like instead of like appetizers or starters, it can be like three and out guarantees. <laughs> that's great you got a contact Schwartzy. um but he's dude, good he with he, the graphics man yeah he's fantastic with them i had him put up that i told him about that interception champion uh that that razor ramon like cut out with jay cutler like you remember that thing i posted i told him about that like two weeks prior and then he saw we were all arguing about jay cutler in the slack and he's like hold up i got something for you i was like dude you came through heavy for me thanks I'm pretty sure that was like my first day in the slack so yeah I think yeah that, for sure uh, that was well, quite a Quite a first impression. One other note, too, before Duke gets his question off and we wrap up. I was listening to uh, the Going Deep podcast with uh, Willie Colon, and they had uh, Malik Jackson on there. He was talking about his time with the Denver Broncos, and they asked him the question, like, who is the person that you've played with in your playing career that is most like Superman? And they, they obviously took Von Miller out of the equation. My man said Danny Trevathan. He said that that guy plays with just such a fire and tenacity and from sideline to sideline is just unstoppable. And that was, you know, back, you know, probably about five, six years ago when he was playing in Denver, but I am so excited to see Mr. Uh Trevathan back out there with Smith this year. And that sound bite got me that much more excited. I, I love me some fucking five nine. You can't ever take me uh-huh. on train, dude. When they brought his grandma, I was like fucking crying with him. I was like, that was the most beautiful thing. Dude, ever. Yeah. You love to see that, but oh. I wanted to get that off. Because so that was, I was like a quality soundbite. I was probably like 15 feet away from Danny Trevathan at his hotel before the fucking uh, playoff game against Philly. And I, dude, I could not, I couldn't, man. I couldn't approach him. Like I couldn't, he was intimidating as hell. Just, just that presence that that guy has. He's always intense. Like, and all, it's not like in a five way. of him, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, straight up. Like, <laughs> but that's what's so great about him, man. He's so freaking gritty. And dude, him and Roquan are just a match made in heaven. I love watching those two on the field at the same I, time. And it dates back to 2017. Like, any time that Danny Trevathan's on on the field, it has looked like a hundred percent different defense. This is the first year where he went out, and it didn't seem like you know we left off, which is. A tribute to Ryan Pace, right, for for building that depth up and getting KPL and, you know, having Nick Wachowski in, in the reins. Like, but other than that, like in 2017, 2018, we were actually about to be a top 10 defense. And I think he got injured and that kind of, or I'm sorry, 2017, 2016. So 2016, we were trending like a little bit more up. 2015 is when we were just getting donkey punched by everybody. Oh. And then 20, 2017, we were on the on the verge of a top 10 defense. Dan- and he got Danny, Danny Trevathan donkey punched Devontae Adams. Yeah, straight. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> straight I was at the bar. I was at the bar, like that screaming. I was like, "That was clean." You cannot convince me otherwise. That was clean. <laughs> I was, I was <laughs> trashed, and I almost got because <laughs> of how happy I was about that. 
I was, I, was I was in a packed bar in Janesville, Wisconsin. I was trash because we were getting our fucking asses kicked. And that was the only thing that was like. They got to let up. us have our small victories. And that was one of them. That oh. was one of them. No <laughs> doubt about it. That was great. Dude, uh, all right. What were you asking? All right. So just question for you guys. I kind of wanted to bring it up with the Tariq Cohen thing. Um, but it's something that just really sticks in my mind. And I'm probably going to end up bringing it up on future pods and stuff like that. Because I really think it is an interesting um, idea. Obviously, we'll, I, I love Tariq Cohen. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Tariq Cohen. I do. I think he's a perfect player. You know, probably not by any stretch, but he is gritty. You know, he has a small guy syndrome, which you love to see in a running back. Um, and he always has something to prove. He has a chip. He's the guy you want in your locker room. You know, it, like him going against uh, Eli Apple in the Saints game. Like that was great. And that builds a team, especially when you're getting your ass kicked. How comfortable are you with paying a Tariq Cohen on his next contract about oh, around $8 million a year? Eight a year? I, no shot. Because I, I really think with what he brings to the table, I, I'm almost assuming at his age that he's going to be going into free agency, that that's going to be close to what it is. Um, it's not something that's really been He's going to be looking at like four to six, I would think. More I would assume, yeah. I would assume like a three-year, but, but he's going to want to test. Contract. He's going to, yeah, three twelves or like, yeah, like maybe four. Which I'd be 16, completely comfortable but, with. But if you're giving him $8 million a year, that means you're giving him starting running back money three down back money and you're not able to utilize him as a three down back. He is a utility player. And I think what he's at his best, and I've said this before, but not to you, I think he's at his best couple kicks a year, every year when he's, when he's utilized as the element of surprise last year, we tried to focus our offense through Tariq Cohen and, and like replacing Trey Burton essentially with Tariq Cohen. And that shit did not work. He's very, y'all remember when they threw a curl route to him on like fourth and nine. And it's like, are we really throwing it to Tariq Cohen? Exactly. (laughs) That's but I mean, that's, that's just Matt Nagy, like (laughs) infatuated with Tariq. I think utilizing him well, I think if you utilize him the right way, he can, he could be a Darren Sproles. He can be a solid utility player, but I don't think that's worth $8 million a year. You I want to give him I, three years, 15 mil. I'm okay with it too, but you got to want him to stay yeah. a bear, but I don't know. It, it's going to have to require some, some meeting in the middle on both sides. Yeah, Cause I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and die on this hill that that's the money that he's going to get, or that's the money he's going to demand. But with what I'm looking at right now with the market, with what guys are getting paid around that average and where that market's eventually going to go, because it always only goes up. I, it, it just worries me. It, it's kind of but something the running that's back the, back one's the only market that kind of, doesn't consistently go but up, to right? Spin, like to spin zone it too, though. Think about it like this: you know, you brought up size earlier. Tree Cohen's what five six one eighty. Most NFL careers last about three years. Not to say that his, you know, his play isn't up to par, but God forbid something happens with an injury, he wants to make sure he gets secured on this next deal. I don't think yeah. he'll take too low ball of an offer. And and I I think you know you look at you know because. Dude, every NFL team just really jumps on trends. And honestly, if you're in a passing offense and you don't consider yourself handing the ball off a lot, Tariq Cohen's the ideal guy you kind of want back there. If that's if that's what you're gonna do, well, like you just got to you just got to get him the ball and let him make it. So happen, you know? Austin yeah, Eckler, I mean. Austin Eckler, who I would say is a similar style of play, right? He is a, a third down back, but I think he could tote the rock a little bit more consistently than. Then Tariq Cohen just got himself a contract for four years, $24.5 million. So six a year, I'm sure it's not all guaranteed. But that yeah. is – I see Tariq Cohen falling in a little bit lower than that because I think you could utilize Austin Eckler as an every down back a lot more than you can Tariq Cohen. 
Well, I just, I, I think it's, you know, and like I said, I'm not going to die on this hill that he's going to make that much. I, I always like c- to kind of think high a little bit anyway, just to prepare for it. But I do think that's going to be an interesting thing that's going to be coming up after this season is, you know, what the plan is there, you know, is this, you know, and if we are going to be paying him really around Austin Eckler money, that's going to be a guy we're going to need to see on the field produce more, you know, we're going to need him on the field more, you know, and we can't just have him sitting in the slot doing bubble screens all the time. He has to be able to well, really carry the ball a little bit yeah, more. And the thing I, is, I would they, honestly they really let his prototype slip out of their grasp last year, let him sit on the practice squad and Kareth white. Yep. And if you look at, um, so they don't have like the reload on that. They can't reload the clip. They're going to have to draft someone or sign someone if they don't, you know, what I, yeah. him. Well, I feel like you could find a lot of shifty backs late. Oh, yeah. No, you can find a running back anywhere. But realistically, like when you when you look at it, I just feel like Tariq Cohen fits with our offense. He's supposed to be one of the most studious players on the team. He understands the offense. He plays that multiplier position. So that's that's not just like an easy thing to replace. But overall, I just I just kind of feel like if you look at Tariq Cohen, when I say use him as the element of surprise, like in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, he got he either got more receptions or. Either way, like he got more rushing touches in 2019 than 2018 and less receptions or vice versa. Right. So around the same amount or a little bit more touches overall, but way less production. And then you want like five. Everyone was kind of exactly. Everyone was kind of savvy to what was going on with Tariq Cohen and how Matt Nagy was trying to use him. And I just felt like all those screens we were running to him, all those little like you know, um, substitution for run plays, those little quick routes, like all those were just getting swallowed up right away. And, and, and the thing about him is you need to get him into space. You can't expect yeah. him to, to be like in close spaces. He's that's not his thing. He needs to have, you know, like set somebody up like six yards down the field and then make that cut and make them lose their self. Cause he, he has that ability like no other. Yeah. If you get him the ball 10 times a game, there's, you know, there's a very good chance he's going to be hovering around a hundred yards of total offense every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, I just, I, I wish I wish Matt would maybe avoid uh, kind of tipping his cap a little bit too much because I if I ever hear Tariq Cohen and Tyreek Hill get brought up in the same sentence like at least ten times a week I'm gonna go nuts because dude why why tip your cap why tell him how you're use, gonna use Tariq Cohen why tell people like why well there's no not, not only that Tariq Hill is I want to say he's five ten and not five six even if he's only he's five also eight or five significantly nine. faster than Tyreek yeah and, and not even that dude he's just he plays a lot bigger. Like he can go up and get the ball. Like he's fucking yeah. Mike Evans. Like but he it's plays also, a lot it's bigger than he is. It's also a lot different when you can just call hike and throw the ball 80 yards and someone runs underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> Which sometimes seems to be the chief's offense. I feel like realistically, if Tariq, uh, Tyreek Hill had an arm, he could hike it, just launch the ball up like fucking <laughs> what's that what's that game uh, he could just 500 call, style he could, he could just yeah, launch could it up just, 500 style and just fucking chase it down and, and jump ball it. the safety the safety sitting there like i got a free pick bro i got a free pick and then all of a sudden he just mosses him <laughs> he just comes out of left field and mosses him oh my goodness. yeah but on that note we are bears on tap i am lucas perfetti you could follow me at lucas perfetti 46 we also have brandon suarez as mr beat on 300 and again everyone welcome Duke Coughlin on it's that pod guy Duke right is your is your tag or is it is there any underscores no just that just that pod guy Duke if you want to follow him we are Bears on tap you can follow us at Bears on tap or follow on tap Sportsnet for all of your Chicago sports needs we have dove into everything now man you want beer reviews NASCAR sports no sports no problem on tap 
has got you covered. Go to ontapsportsnet.com to check out all of our content. We love you all. Thank you very much, and bear down. Bear down. Bear down, baby.